In today's episode, we open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas venture into new territory, spreading the gospel and facing a roller coaster of challenges, but also triumphs. And as they travel to Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, they perform miraculous healings, leaving the locals in awe. However, their divine mission attracts some fierce opposition, from being hailed as gods all the way to facing violent persecutions. But their unwavering dedication to God's mission takes them through the highs and the lows, leaving a lasting impact on the communities they touch. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today's Friday, August 11th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. I'm so grateful for listeners like you who tune into the program regularly, whose prayers and contributions support the ministry of KFPO Radio. I'm also thankful to our sponsor, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about them at lhfmissions.org and see how they do this great work of translating and publishing and distributing Christ-centered materials around the world to help spread the gospel of Jesus. Again, you can find out more information about them at lhfmissions.org. This morning, though, our guest is the Reverend John Zimmerman. He's the pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and St. John's Lutheran Church in Pittston, Pennsylvania. Good morning, Pastor Zimmerman, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Well, good noon from Pennsylvania, Pastor Bua. Uh, great to have be on the show with you today. Yeah, and this is the first time you're on the program with me, so I'd like to kind of give you the floor for just a few minutes Share with the folks at home just a little bit about yourself, your ministry, how God's working through you and the saints of Emmanuel and the saints of St. John's. What's going on there for you in Pennsylvania? Well, thanks for asking. It's uh, been a joy. I've been a pastor out here since 2016. I'm a young second career guy. I worked in college admissions for about four years before going to our Fort Wayne Seminary. And I was, I was sent out here as a single guy, but the Lord blessed me in meeting Krista out here. We celebrate five years of marriage uh, next month, and uh, a joy to be married to her. And out here at Emmanuel Scranton, God's grace, we've been here since 1895, uh, sharing the gospel here in this anthracite coal zone. There's a big coal mining area back in the day. And, and here, uh, also been helping that, the Pittston Church as well. Thanks for mentioning them been helping them in an extended vacancy for six of the seven years out here. But together, we we operate the uh, Lutheran Braille Workers Print Shop for the Eastern District. We're the only one out here that does it right now. And um, we get to send volumes of Isaiah around the world. And we even print a book of Revelation in Swahili for our African brothers and sisters, in addition to a prayer book. And the Lord's allowed for the last almost 20 years, we've had a a small preschool operating trying to help get kids on the right path of learning the ABCs, but chiefly learning Jesus' love for them. Well, I love to hear that, and that's fascinating work with the the Braille. I, I, I didn't even know that was going on. Yeah, Lutheran Braille Workers is a RSO, you know, Recognized Service Organization of the Synod. They're based out of California. Uh, their office is out there, but uh, there's uh, print shops throughout the, the synod, throughout the country. 
And uh, they started that here, I think it's almost 35 years now, going on to late late 80s, it got started. And uh, there's a Monday night print shop, um, and there's a Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning's more of our younger retirees helping out, you know, serving in their older years. Um, and it just started this year, a once a month Saturday shop. So some of our friends from Pittsburgh come up from about 20 miles south of us so they can help out as well. And uh, a joy to, to work together to share the gospel onward as we'll, we'll dive into that joy of the gospel going forward in Acts 14 later on. Yeah, that's great. And for folks who are interested, you can learn more about the Lutheran Braille Workers at lbwinc.org, lbwinc.org. Check out the good work they're doing. I'm certainly going to. Well, folks, um, we're going to get into our text right now, but uh, brother, I'd like to ask you to lead us in prayer before we get into Acts chapter 14. Of course. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks as baptized, redeemed believers that the gospel went on throughout the whole world. And we give you thanks for Paul and Barnabas as they carried out uh, that wonderful mission uh, there to the people of Galatia. And ask for your blessings in our time when we deal with opposition, for we know your word is sufficient and you are with us always. Bless this study for those that would hear it live and later on podcasts. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's look at our text. So it, we see Paul and Barnabas are continuing further and further, pressing further into Gentile territories. Uh, and we saw this pattern up at Pisidian Antioch. Now it's going to repeat itself at Iconium. And as we've been seeing, they receive some initial welcoming, but then, of course, a lot of opposition and resistance from both Jews and Gentiles. Um, let's get into that. I'm going to read the first seven verses. Here we go. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So, they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it, and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycanoia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Okay, so this is where we're at. Um, tell us about Iconium. You know, we see them, as I said earlier, pushing further into these Jewish, uh, uh, sorry, non-Jewish, Gentile territories. Oh, what's going on here? Well, they're going deep into what uh, Rome had taken over. And these are not Christian strongholds at all, right? This is the initial push of sharing the gospel on. As we see, they found themselves to a Jewish synagogue. So they found part of the diaspora over the years. And um, yeah, it's it's just one, one thing I, I had noted while just kind of studying with this. It's just, you know, what's the phrase? Haters going to hate, right? You know, as, as they keep going on. 
Now, when we see them go into um, this area, the cities of Lycanonia, it's kind of hard to say, uh, but um, yeah, yeah. you know, they flee. They flee to Lystra and Derby. They flee there because of at Iconium, which is, I guess, if if people really wanted to know where it was, it's um, modern Turkey, kind of right in the middle. Um, it's about ninety yeah. miles southeast of Pisidian Antioch. And so while it was initially a Jewish community, but by this point, it's predominantly Gentile. And so they're, they're heading there. They're proclaiming the word of God. They're meeting resistance, which I guess isn't completely uncommon for their experience. But the first thing I notice is that when people push against them, they remained. So, but the believing Jews stirred up the Gentiles, poisoned their minds against their brothers. And then it's like, so they remained for a long time. So when first meeting resistance, they don't flee, they don't run, they stick around, they double down, they, they build relationships, I'm assuming. They're, they're trying their hardest to continue to proclaim the gospel even amidst the false rumors and the poisoned minds of the people. But there is a point at which they go, okay, this is a, this is a pearls before swine, this is a dust on our feet kind of situation, we gotta run, we gotta leave. That's, of course, when they want to stone them. So I think what question brings to my mind, or at least what question comes to my mind, is, is it okay to flee persecution? Because that's what they do. You know, they, they, they stand their ground for a while, but when things get rough, they go. And uh, I would argue that it is, but I'd like to hear what you have to say. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough question when we deal with uh, persecution, of course, but I'm, I'm glad that the summary you just gave uh, for, for our listeners as well, that that joy in verse three of how they remained for a long time. I mean, we don't know exactly how long a long time is, right? It's not spelled out exactly for us, but we know it's more than a day, right? It's more probably several weeks, if not months. Right. But the Paul's mission with Barnabas, right, is to go throughout the Gentile region. So they're, they're, two, they're two men, right? So their job, their calling, they're, they're, they're sent from the you know, spirit there in Acts 13. Um, they're, they're, they're sent to go out. They're not just stuck in one place, but they make the good confession while they're there. And they have, you know, the opportunity to go elsewhere. Um, as we'll learn of Derby as well. Um, it's, it's okay to go. But it's also okay to stay. That's kind of how I've held to it. Uh, but note what they don't change at all is that they keep the good confession about Jesus and the gospel, right? They, they never, you know, mess up the message. But the question is, are there going to be more hearers that they're going to? And look at the good that happened with them fleeing and, and strengthening other churches as they went. So whether they stay or whether they go, it seems like the main message to take away is the persecution doesn't change their confession. They don't look Correct. at the atmosphere that they're encountering and say, you know what? These people don't really like what we're saying about <laughs> Jesus but boy, we sure want them to be part of us. We sure want these people who want to stone us to be a part of our confession. So we'll just change things up so that it will appeal to more of them. Because the main thing is to just get as many people to say they're Christian as possible 
regardless of what they really believe. Well, that's obviously not in their mind. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 10, he says, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Jesus kind of tells them, listen, if they're persecuting you, they're going to kill you. Just go, man. <laughs> you got so many places, if I could paraphrase Jesus. Uh, you have so many places to proclaim the gospel. If they're resisting you, not not just sort of like they don't want to hear it, but if they're they're persecuting you, then go, go. As you said, Pastor, and I think rightly so, um, Yes, of course, if it's okay to stay and double down, and but but you don't have to force yourself to be a martyr because there's plenty of other people that need to hear the gospel. Do you think that's a fair summary? That that's a fair summary, and I, I don't know how you had my Matthew ten twenty three note taken right there, right? You uh, <laughs> when I was <laughs> I was like, wow, this really echoes uh, you know that instruction to the disciples, and of course, Paul is a uh, you know the the newer the newest of the apostles, right? That that transformation. Yeah, your summary is spot on, and 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 one thing kind of uh, I want to actually connect to our our context now. I mean, think of the issues that we had with the Union churches in Europe, I and mean, that's how our Missouri Synod, how many of the the founders took the boats to come here, so they can keep the good confession, and and uh, you know that's that's part of how Christianity continues to go around. Is, hey find more friends, brothers and sisters that confess the truth of the Bible. Um, sometimes you got to get out of town, despite how much you love where you're at. Sometimes you got to go. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that what Paul and Barnabas and everybody, what they're doing isn't Sunday morning worship, right? They aren't the parish priests. Correct. They aren't Correct. the parish pastors. This is not the a gathering of Christians around the Lord's Supper. That stuff's happening and starting to happen. But th these are missionary journeys. They're going out with a purpose to proclaim Christ. So this isn't as though there's conflict in a church and and the advice is, well, once you have conflict in a church pastor, uh, just <laughs> go to the next one, right? That's not the message. Aside from the fact that Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. Uh, still, even if it were prescriptive, that's not what it's prescribing. This is just talking about how they're proclaiming the word of the Lord. It's consistent with Jesus's own teaching to go to other places. And I'm going to be a little bold here. This is off the cuff, but I'm wondering if sometimes the persecution we encounter, God allows that persecution to force our hand to go to the next place. You know, they're there they get this resistance, but they double down, which is fine, but maybe they're not getting the hint. Maybe God's wanting them to move on. So now the resistance is allowed to increase to the point where they're wanting to kill them with stones. And so they go, all right, fine, we got it. And now they mo they go on to uh, Lystra. I, I don't know. Do you think that might be a possibility? I think that's a fair uh, assessment and, and just using the uh, English Standard Version, archaeology study Bible, just trying to find where all these cities are. I mean, we're going to have, you know, the opponents going over 150 miles um, from Antioch to go and stone these guys. So persecution is going to follow them where they go. But no, while they true. go, the, gos the gospel goes further, right? So, so I mean, you know, we're, we're blessed to talk on 
on radio, we're connected. I'm in Pennsylvania, you're in Minnesota. We're connected with Missouri via satellites and cellular telephones. Um, they didn't have that then, so you had to keep going. Well, you know, you're right, though, about the persecution following them. That puts a little bit of a hole in my theory. Let's read that part, though, but we'll, we'll actually get there to that in a minute. Let's read how they flee, though. Uh, verse 7 says, there they continue to preach the gospel. The there is the places, the cities of Lycanonia. Um, here we go with verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycanonian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they call Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed into the crowd, crying out, and actually that's where we're going to pause. <laughs> we're not going to get to what they say just yet, but at the end of verse 14, what we have is them going, performing miracles in the name of the Lord, but the people are misinterpreting this as blessings from their own pantheon of gods. Um, among other things, I really like how Barnabas ends up being called Zeus and Paul <laughs> Hermes. Um, it says because he was the chief speaker. Now, I'm not super familiar with Greek and Roman gods, but it, they, it's just interesting. They put Barnabas as like the chief guy, kind of maybe even directing Paul. And that's something we've been talking about on this show, how Barnabas kind of doesn't get enough credit, I think, amongst regular Christians for bringing Paul to the forefront. He's very much his benefactor. He's the one encouraging Paul. He's, uh, you know, Paul's the more dynamic one. We know of Paul more because of all the different writings we have in the scriptures, but really Barnabas, I think, gets the short staff. And maybe it's because they have some disagreements later on, but I just think that's interesting. In, indeed, indeed. And I, likewise, I'm not all into the uh, you know, Greek mythology and such, but it was it was definitely interesting that the names they gave them and now they're going to treat them uh, like the gods that came down. Um, I did read just a, a short thing I found on this for our readers. If you're not, uh, or listeners, if you're not as into this this Greek mythology, like why why would this um, mix up happen? And this comes again from the ESV Archaeology Bible. If you'd permit me, me about thirty seconds or so, you know, one day Jupiter Zeus and his son Mercury Hermes disguised themselves as mortals and visited a thousand homes in Phrygia. Each denied them hospitality until Baucis and her husband Philemon opened their humble home to get to the gods. After feeding the guests with their best food, the elderly couple soon realized they were hosting divine visitors after the wine flagon constantly refilled itself. When Jupiter and Mercury warned them about an impending flood that would destroy their wicked neighbors, Baucis and Philemon fled to high ground. After the flood, their lone standing home was transformed to a magnificent temple. And that's the mythology going on. So these oh. are spiritual people. These are spiritual people, but they're not following 
you know, Yahweh, the Lord God. Right. So, so when they, they see this miracle happen, and if they have this narrative in their mind, this this yeah. myth from their history, they're like, hey, listen, we're not going to be caught left out not honoring Zeus and Hermes if they've come to visit us. So that's why we have all yeah. this pomp and circumstance around them. Now, that is interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people, I mean, God, God made all, all hum, humankind, right? We are all spiritual people. The question is, are you following God of the Bible, the the Almighty God, or are you following these false idols? But so yeah, they've got this this narrative as they came up, but they don't want to miss the boat. Right? They just saw something amazing. Of course, we'll we'll hear the good confession of uh, Paul and Barnabas with this and uh, the second part of this this reading. Well, you know, it reminds me of Paul talking at the Areopagus, right? He's saying, I can see in every way that you're very religious or that you're religious in every way or something to that effect. The point is, I believe that everybody is religious. Everybody is quote unquote spiritual. Um, it's just what God or gods are you worshiping? Is it the God of self? Is it the God of convenience? Is it the modern God of technology? Is it the God of uh, the pantheon of false gods of the Greeks and Romans? Yeah. You know, yeah. Whatever it is, maybe it's your own ideology. Maybe it's your family that's an idol for you uh, or your work. Even good things can become false idols. But I, I believe that we're wired by God to seek out the divine. And it's just a shame that our sin is such to the point where we deny God, even when we see him working in our midst as they do. I, I do want to head back, though, to the actual guy who was healed. So it says there was a man sitting who couldn't use his feet. They don't explain exactly what that is, but that he was crippled from birth and had never walked. And he listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looks at him, and the Bible says, seeing that he had faith to be made well, tells him, get up. So what do you think that means when he says, seeing that he had faith to be made well? I, it seems like it's dangerously close to this kind of um, uh, prosperity gospel, right? Where if you if you believe strong enough, you can wish into your life healing and Paul is able to see that he has the faith to make himself well. You know, you could see where a prosperity preacher could take a text like this and really mislead people. What's the better way to understand it? I, yeah, that's a, a dangerous way that some people will take it, but we, we have to understand, you know, faith has its object, right? Here, here this man has been listening um, to Paul. He's been listening to the gospel of, of Jesus being presented. And it's, this is faith be made well. I mean, being the saving faith. This isn't talking about his um, faith, his, his thought of listening to Paul. Now I can walk. You know, he hasn't been able to walk from birth. No, it's, um, it's actually where English, and I'm not a great Greek scholar. I know all of us pastors are supposed to be really, really, really good with it, but some of us aren't. Um, <laughs> But this is sometimes where our translations kind of fail us here. I mean, here is talking about the faith in the gospel. So here you have a man who down in his dumps of being, you know, crippled since birth, as the Bible says here, right? Can't, can't, never walk. And the best part is everyone that sees him with this miracle that happens next, though, they know that that guy has never walked, right? These, these witnesses to this wonderful miracle that happens. But to your question of, of, of the faith, to be made well that here is 
he's responded positively to the gospel, right? He can't save himself. Jesus saves him. But here we have Paul giving the gospel to him, and he believes. Right. So I, I do agree with you that there's a little more than meets the eye here. On, on, the, on the one hand, we see what's happening here is very reminiscent of back in Acts chapter 3, when you know Peter and them are healing the guy that's at the beautiful gate. But of course, Paul often imitates Jesus in the things that he does. And we have an instance of Jesus seeing someone's faith. Back in Matthew chapter 9, it says, Behold, some people brought to Jesus a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And so here we have Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright. I uh, agree with your assessment that Paul's seeing of faith isn't that he somehow, and I think we're confused because of the phrase looking intently at him. It's not as though he's looking at him and he's able to perceive in some supernatural way that this guy has faith. You know, Paul suddenly can read the heart. I think it's more about he's observing what we might today call empirical piety. He's saying things about Christ. He's eager. He's, he's demonstrating his faith. So when Paul sees that he is a man of, man of faith, and who would receive the message of Christ, especially his healing, I think that's what we're being told here. And, and, and regardless of how we might parse that out, he still says at the end, stand on your feet, and he just jumps up and begins walking. Uh, no, no, doesn't even need to learn to walk. Even though he's never walked in his entire life, he just immediately is able to walk. And, and so that's pretty amazing. Yeah, when you have the divine miracles that come through, they, they come in full, right? There's, there's no recovery time. There's no having to go to therapy. There's no baby steps here. Boom, immediate, full healing, full adult walking. Such joy to see in that text. Well, I tell you what, I do want to get to what Paul actually said to the folks as they start to try to sacrifice to him and worship him and Barnabas as Zeus and Hermes, but we're at our time for a break. So we're going to take our break. Folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to hear what happens next, including, well, Paul is stoned at Lystra. So that's something to look well forward to. Maybe that's not the right word. Either way, folks, we'll keep on going when we come back. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. 
Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boole, and with me today is the Reverend John Zimmerman. He's the pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and he's the vacancy pastor over at St. John's Lutheran Church in Pittston, Pennsylvania. You know, there are so many ways to connect with Thy Strong Word, and connecting with Thy Strong Word means that you're able to grow in your faith and knowledge of God because that's what we talk about, the Word of God. So whether you're tuning in over the airwaves, catching up via our podcast, streaming on KFUO.org, or listening on demand, KFUO.org forward slash Thy Strong Word, or maybe you're using the KFUO radio app, which makes all that very easy, it doesn't matter. I'm just glad that you've joined us. And if you have any thoughts or questions about the show, you can reach me at PastorBoo at gmail.com. Be sure to spell it right, P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Facebook. Be sure to mention how you listen to the program when you write. I'm always interested. Now, Pastor Zimmerman, before the break, you know, we kind of we kind of left some unfinished business here. We have the folks trying to offer sacrifices to the apostles, but they're having none of it. Let's hear what they have to say. I'm going to start with 14 and go through 18. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways, Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. So here we have Barnabas and Paul rightly redirecting the people's misplaced enthusiasm and passion back to God. But even despite his well-passioned pleas, they still, I guess they don't believe him. Maybe they think it's a trick. You know, oh, you you gods are very tricky. Maybe you're putting us to the test. I don't know. It's just amazing. And I think it's a testimony to how easily Barnabas and Paul and the others, anybody who has the power to work the miracles of God, which we know is for the purpose of giving witness to the word, but how easily they could have used that for their own devices. And, and I think that's what we have to be very careful of today. We see people trying to use the Word of God to their own benefit, too. Uh, I mean, false prophets and such. But, uh, yeah, so it's fascinating. I think they did a good job. Uh, what do you think about what happened? Yeah, I know we were up right up against that break. I'm glad we got to come back to the section of the second half of this, this study. And, yeah, it they— you know, are, are they are they humble bragging, saying we're we're like you, right? No, no, they're they're making the great good confession that they are fellow mortals made by Almighty God, and you know the 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 sign is given for your good, right? To, to show divinity of the message, not divinity of their nature, but the divinity of the nature of their message. Right? That uh, this is how important this is for them, and I mean. Obviously, St. Paul, we got many of his writings. I mean, this just sounds like Romans 1 of just telling him, hey, you know, the living God made everything. He gives 
gives you, you know, fruitful seasons, the rains and such. Come, come, come listen, listen to him and him alone. And yeah, it's, it's a, we, we, we typically don't have the time. I mean, sometimes I wish, I mean, maybe it's me too, humanly speaking. Sometimes I wish I can pray that boom, instant old miracle uh, oh, right. of healing. We're not, we're not given that power now. Um, and the first apostles were, I mean, we are given the great, you know, obviously the miracle of forgiveness from Jesus alone, right? That's the ultimate one and adoption by, by Jesus, uh, in the blessed sacrament of baptism, but it's, yeah, it's tough. It's tough, but you, you, I, I kind of teach my members out here. You can kind of have your, your heresy radar go off. If you can see someone trying to stretch the message. Right. right. They're, they're trying to like, you know, Hey, what, 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 what's that crazy preacher man getting out of this? Or, 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 you know, if you, you know, give this exact amount of money for this little trinket and your life is going to be all much better. Like, well, that's not what the word. <laughs> so if they ever add it or subtract from it, or you can kind of, I mean, ha- ha- again, have your heresy alarm kind of, you know, let the sonar go out and if it doesn't sound quite right coming back. I mean, you, your spidey sense is probably much more accurate than you think um, if, if you're well versed in the scriptures. Well, you mentioned Romans 1, um, but a couple of things stand out here that I think can maybe confuse people a little bit. And, and that's verse 16, especially, and, and then leading into 17. It says, in past generations, he, God, allowed the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he didn't leave himself without witness. He gave all these good things, right? Rain, fruitful seasons, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, how might we understand the phrase, he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways? Certainly Paul isn't saying that God just let people live however they want. Actually, let me rephrase it, that God approved of people living whatever they want. That's certainly not what we're, what we're hearing here. But how would we explain <laughs> Always keep giving me the tough questions, Pastor Boo. No, oh well, you know I can answer <laughs> it for you if you'd like. No, no, no. Oh no, it's fine. You're good. You're good. No, it's um, I, I try to when we, when we covered this a couple months ago here, I try to try to explain it this way, and hopefully it's it's the fruitful, faithful way. It's you know God doesn't immediately kill unbelievers, right? You know, there's the time for the message to go out. I mean, today is the day of salvation. We'll make sure people are hearing about Jesus. And I mean, it's presented to them. And we we pray the Spirit works on them, converts them, of course. But it's not, um, and and actually, it's out of God's divine love. He doesn't immediately kill all of us, right, for being unbeliever or sinners. Uh, But I'm glad you you, you corrected as you were introducing this question. I was like, no, God's not approving their bad beliefs. God's not approving this worship of Zeus and Hermes and all the the craziness that's going on here. Um, But it's, it's his, there's time on earth, right? There's the the time of life um, that we're given here that uh, he doesn't just immediately send the lightning bolts. Sorry, we're talking about Zeus, right? right? He's not sending lightning bolts on the heretics immediately or false believers. Um, but, uh, he doesn't No, I believe that's exactly, yeah, I mean, that's exactly the answer I believe. And that is that in allowing things to happen, God allows all kinds of things to happen that he doesn't agree with. And I think Paul is pointing out here because here might be the argument from their point of view. They might say, 
if there is this God that's so much more powerful than all of our gods, or alternatively, if our gods are nothing and there's this one God and we've been worshiping all these other gods, why didn't he do something? Because when they think of gods, they're going to think of, as you said, Zeus, who regularly and without abandon smites people, sometimes just for the fun of it. So when they think of gods, they have a preconceived notion of who God is. And if there's only one, they would be, well, wouldn't he be very jealous? And of course, actually, the Bible does tell us our God is jealous for us. But still, why wouldn't he be punishing us? And yeah, you're right, brother. I think he's basically saying, you know, Paul, uh, sorry, Yahweh didn't really intervene directly in other nations. That makes sense for Israel. He just allowed them to follow their own desires. And Paul, again, further explains this in Romans. And we're not going to get into Romans. If you're interested in our topic of Romans 1, we actually covered that when I first became host. But yeah, so we see here how God does allow people to follow after their own desires, even when those desires are sinful. But allowing something to happen doesn't mean he's A, causing to happen or um, approving of it happening. And I think that's the distinction I want people to know. Thanks, brother. That's spot on. Thank you. <laughs> well, anything else about this section before we move on to the next one? Sorry to, I didn't, I'm not trying to stump you, I promise. No, no, that's good. That's good. I mean, we're, we're called to give the good answer at any time. But the, I, I just, I really love that first line there in verse 15 with the action, right? Right after they tore the garments. And of course, we know that's the, I mean, you have the, the vision of, of Monday, Thursday, right? Of, of when, when the, uh, the, the chief, uh, oh gosh, the chief priest is going to Jesus. Like, towards, right? like that's, that's, that's just a symbol of great distress. So you got this guy in great distress saying, why are you doing these things to us? We're men like you. <laughs> you know? um, like I'm not Zeus or I'm not Hermes. He's not Zeus. Um, I, that must have been quite the scene to see. But you know, and, um, I, I don't know if you've seen Monty Python's Life of Brian, but I can't. Yes. Yeah. So I can't imagine, though, that when they say, well, we're men like you, that the crowds don't go, well, that's exactly what one of the gods in human form would try to say, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. because yeah, yeah, they yeah. scarcely can restrain the people from offering sacrifices. Yeah. But I love that, too. And I also like what they also say where he says, you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Now for them, it's uh, their pantheon of gods. It's their false idols. It's all the things that they do. In these last days, we certainly have our own number of false gods, but that's our message. You know, you should turn from these vain things to a living God. That's the message of, of law for our community. Even for our fellow Christians need to be reminded of this from time to time, but especially to those who don't believe, aren't we still proclaiming the same message to folks out there who are dedicating their lives to things that will perish at the end. And yet they should turn from their uh, devotion to vain things and turn to a living God, which Paul here and Barnabas describe as good news. I mean, it's good news that you don't have to dedicate your life to vain things, but rather you have a God who loves you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so much of what their their mythologies of, and they have these little stone temples and other things of their mind that they make up, like like how much of their lives were towards serving this inanimate object, 
but here's that, that the huge call turn to the living God. And that's and, and the no, great comfort we have. Go ahead. No, I was just going to jump in there and just agree with you and say that I think today it's not as though we shouldn't fight for justice or try to make sure people are treated fairly or feed the hungry or clothe the naked or help the poor. All of those things are good, right, and salutary. But sometimes people will take like a cause, which is otherwise good, and manipulate it into a religion. Um, and, and I think that I, we see a lot in our culture as people, I think, searching for something to worship and something to be a part of that's bigger than themselves. And so they find themselves caught up in a lot of movements, which frankly are just the vain things of this world. Indeed. Indeed, brother. I mean, I, without getting too many sports fans angry at me or even medical folks, but look at the nicest buildings in our towns and our cities. Right, your stadiums and your massive hospitals. Right, there's good things being done. Right, uh, there's nothing right. wrong with enjoying first article gifts of recreation. We we applaud the medical arts. I mean, the church were the first hospitals. If you look at the church history, going out helping the poor. Um, but if you get if you get caught up worshiping something that's not God, well, that that's an idol. And You're spot on about those hospitals. I was just talking to some—I didn't mean to talk over you, but I was talking to someone the other day about the hospitals because some of them are just these beautiful palaces. And, you know, it's like, why do we dedicate so much money to these things? And, well, that's because, you know, trying to avoid sickness and death is one of our idols. And, well, let's just say that I think Pastor Zimmerman and I can both attest that we don't make the same amount of money that— surgeons or heads of surgery do uh, but and yet here we are thanks to god able to gift people with eternal life and so we see here though that they did want to worship them as gods and they redirected it to the to the one true god but eh, that didn't exactly stick with folks That's that's fair, and just one quick clarification. I know time will, will get get us soon enough, but I'm not anti-medical at all. Our point is just making sure people don't um, end up worshiping the gift, right? You're supposed to worship God, not the gift that He gives you. Precisely, because the reason why we appreciate medical services so much is because we can see them as God helping us bear the curse through servants and through. Um, medicines and treatments, and you know, we're grateful for them. And hey, I'm not I'm not saying we should cut their pay, but I am saying that we definitely see what people value based on how much they're willing to invest in those things. Um, I think it's probably time, just for time's sake, we should move on. I'm going to read verses 19 through 23. Let's see what happens next. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and he entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Uh, well, in there, you mentioned 
um, them heading back to Iconium before. So uh, take us through this section. Yeah, so through this section, they're um, kind of going back and forth a little bit if you look at your maps. Um, but they're, they're, they're trying to you know, establish a church. As, as we got here in verse 23, we heard in this section. Appointed elders and appointing elders, I mean, bringing it from the Greek to our English, and this would be appointing pastors in, in the churches. So there, the, this gospel mission is going out, the missionaries' mission is going out, and now um, the, these little these little groups are starting, and they're they're going to have you know men keeping the good confession uh, that the, that they have in, in Jesus, and um, great joy as you see the little church starting to grow, going out into modern-day Turkey. You know, it's interesting to me that whenever they have these, uh, I guess, disciples—not whenever, but sometimes when they have, like— Okay, I'll I'll just, for instance, verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they and it says they backtracked to Lystra, to Iconium, Mm -hmm. back to Antioch. Um, They just sort of say in passing that they made many disciples. It seems like when there's resistance, it gets a little more, eh, it gets a little more ink, a little more uh, a page time than say when they're converting folks. And and I almost wonder if part of the reason why, I mean, obviously we have some of these big displays like at Pentecost and things like that, but but most of the time these guys are just doing the work of the church. It's it's not something to say, oh, look, we made a thousand disciples here and 1500 disciples there and 20 here and 150 there. No, that's their job. They're preaching the gospel and they're moving on. And they're also returning to places that they had been literally run out of. Um, why? Because they're <laughs> gluttons for abuse. No, they're going back. They're meeting with the disciples they made. And as you pointed out, appointing pastors for them, presbyters, elders. Yeah, here you see, I'm, I'm glad you, you highlighted the there in verse 21 of making many disciples in that you, you see God, the Holy Spirit working. Right? You see how faith is being transmitted and then believed. And it's, you know, we're not always, I mean, yes, bad news gets more press, right? <laughs> Even today, right? You, you won't see an article on your, on your, your streaming page or front page of, you know, husband and wife walks dog. That's not going to be front page news. <laughs> right. um, it's going to be dog bit everyone on the front street or something. Uh, <laughs> that would make more, more news. Um, but it's, it's a great encouragement to see, yeah, the, the mission went out, the gospel went out. And, and just like we had in the uh, three-year series, you know, the word of God uh, does not return void, right? It goes out. It does what it's set out to accomplish. And we give thanks that there's, you know, little, you know, the, the garden was starting to sprout and grow, right? It's not a massive field yet, but, you know, you can see the pieces where it's going. And I, personally, pastorally speaking, I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for me on this one. Um, it's nice, you know fruits of the faith starting right if you're if you're being persecuted in these same places but when you return but you still have little house churches or however they're starting synagogue churches starting um it's got to be so encouraging to see uh for them right they didn't just they didn't just stop there for a little bit leave town and never see them again they got to see some of these 
uh, brothers and sisters again. No, you're a hundred percent correct. I would love to say that we're always able to be encouraged by seeing the Holy Spirit move actively within people. And we always are, I think, when we see it. Of course, we don't always see it, but it's it's certain certainly reassuring as they make their way back, you know, backtracking, they're going heading back up toward Antioch. They're stopping at these places where they've made believers and they're giving them leadership though. And I think that's an aspect that's really important too. It's not as though they're like, okay, now that you believe that's all you need, uh, see in heaven, but no, he goes back and he says, okay, now we're going to appoint elders, assuming that those elders, I'm assuming those elders are coming from the midst of those people. And we're going to make pastors leadership for you so that you can then continue to grow in faith and good works and the knowledge and of God and love toward one another. But that leadership, I don't think we should skip over that too, too quickly, right? They're establishing elders for them in every church. And with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So the disciples, the apostles here, aren't just also going around proclaiming the things they know, but they continue their worship of God with prayer and fasting. They continue to rely on God's mercy as they do this work. I just want to finish up our text for today, and then um, I'll, uh, I want to hear what you have to say. Verses 24 through 28, we'll finish out Acts chapter 14. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Or in other words, Luke, they remained quite a while with the disciples. Um, that no little time is always a weird phrase to me. Uh, let's finish out the chapter, brother. Uh, bring us home. Take uh, let people know exactly what they should take away from this before we end our time together. Yeah, I mean, combining that little last section uh, together with the previous one, you know, it's important to encourage the faithful, um, especially there in verse 22, um, seeing that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God, right? It's not going to be a cakewalk here on earth, right? The devil's going to keep attacking. Here you've got the, the Jews coming you know, hundreds of miles to come to, or, or at least almost 200 miles, I think, but my, my geography was right. They came a long way to go get them. Um, so we're going to face some opposition here. But the Lord is with us, and it's important that the pastors uh, and the laity, like the, the our, our dear members alike, keep the good confession of the faith through the scriptures as we know it and confess it. Uh, so that leadership is important. And then um, we have the historical note, how they get back, you know, they hop on the boat. Right. They um, I think I think the estimated distance of this first missionary journey was nine hundred and thirty five or nine hundred and fifty miles total round trip on boat and by foot, you know, not 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 by car, not by highway, not by airplane or anything. Uh, it took them a while to get around. But um, such joy there at that end of verse 27 of how they're able to you know, report back. Um, to Antioch of Syria, or you have Antioch twice here, right? So you have Antioch, the original place where he set out from, look what's happened. 
right? He's able to report back that these little churches that started, look, they stoned me and left me for dead. Heck, they thought Barnabas was Zeus. I was Hermes. I mean, and we, and we tried, I mean, that must've been quite the story to share, of course. Um, so they're able to report back to the, you know, the original mission sending out zone and, um, Wow, what 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 a trip they were on, and that was just the first of several. It uh, it that, definitely that, gives that um, like Mission Sunday feel, right? Where you invite <laughs> yeah. missionaries in. Uh, yeah. Except you know, I've yet to hear a missionary, and maybe there are some out there that have that story, but yeah, I've yet to hear anybody come and say, "Yeah, we were treated as gods," <laughs> but uh, and not only treated as gods, but that being a bad thing. I've I've not heard that yet. But uh, yeah, it's yeah. it's definitely comforting for us as we see the Holy Spirit working in the early church, working through people like Paul and Barnabas. Yes, they are um, running into resistance. I mean, serious resistance, but they're also uh, making headway. The Lord is working through them. They have good news to bring back to the congregation, sort of the home base where they began. Um, and it's just amazing to see God working and I think it encourages us today to get out there. Um, don't forget, if you agree with me, then you'll agree with this statement. And that is that this society today is not progressive. It is regressive. Because it's regressive, though, I think we can learn from the ways that Paul interacted with folks. Yeah, Acts isn't descriptive, but at the same time, I'm sorry, Acts isn't prescriptive, but it's descriptive not only of the time back then, but I think of the time today. So I, I think that's something we should keep in mind. Uh, brother, I have just a minute left. Thank you so much for being on the show this morning. Um, this has been the Reverend John Zimmerman. He's the pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Scranton, Pennsylvania. He helps out over there at St. John's Lutheran Church in Pittston, Pennsylvania, too. Thanks so much for being on the program. I hope you come back. It was a joy to be with you, and blessings to the listeners, and may they continue to uh, be strengthened by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, when we come back on Monday, we're going to open up chapter 15, and we're not going to cover all of it, just the first half, but in the heart of a tumultuous dispute that threatens the early Christian community's unity, we see a momentous gathering, and they're trying to address this crucial question. Must Gentile converts first become Jews and adhere to Jewish customs and traditions in order to be accepted as Christians. So that's what we'll talk about. And you'll see tensions escalate and divisions deepen. You'll witness heated debates, but you're also going to see the unwavering conviction of Paul and Barnabas and the decisive intervention of the Holy Spirit. But that's all Monday. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word. 